A few years ago, we had a long-time Jewish-Christian dialogue between members of Holy Spirit Parish and Temple Israel. And after the group had met for probably about a year, uh, they decided to have a banquet, a big meal, a nice meal, and that the rabbi and myself would each give a talk and respond to questions. And so we did, and as you might imagine, the very first question uh, after my little talk was, well, why do you Catholics believe in the Trinity, which seems like three gods? And I explained to them that we believe it because of experience, because of the experience of people. The experience, first of all, of Israel, the covenant people, their experience of God who had gathered them, who had chosen them, who had brought them together and made them a community, made them the people of God, and then nurtured them and guided them through history. But then if that was not wonderful enough, there came Jesus of Nazareth, a human being like ourselves, but doing wonderful things, setting people free from demonic spirits, curing all kinds of illnesses, preaching with power, and eventually dying and rising again. And as the apostles and disciples grappled with, because they were all Jewish, they were all would give their life for the belief that God is one. That was the whole raison d'etre of Judaism, was that there's only one God. But yet, Jesus did all the things that God did and claimed to be equal to the Father. And so they came to understand that there's another person. And then shortly after the Lord's ascension, we celebrated it last Sunday, didn't we? The Feast of Pentecost. Yet a third powerful experience of God swept upon these men and women of the early church. The Holy Spirit that had been promised. Remember the prophecy of Joel, where God said that in time to come, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, upon all men and women. Until that time, the spirit seemed to have been limited. It was given to prophets and to the kings of Israel, to the judges of Israel. But now the spirit was to be poured out upon the whole of humankind, the whole human flesh. And so the disciples began to say, well, this also is God, but it's not God the Father, and it's not Jesus. And so... It was because of their experience that the church came to this sense of the Trinity. Now, sometimes people who don't believe it will say, well, you don't find the word Trinity in this Bible. And that's true, you don't. Because the understanding of the doctrine came after the scriptures were written as a way of being faithful to what was written and also to those experiences being faithful to what is written. For example, the first reading today, isn't it wonderful? The sense of wisdom almost as another person. God's wisdom 
playing before God, God's wisdom as the craftsman who created the whole universe. That was within the context of the belief in one God, but the fullest revelation came through Jesus and the Holy Spirit to understand that there are three the word persons is not the best word, is it? Because for us, person means a discrete, separate individual. But the word persons is the translation of the Greek term that was used in the early church. And after all these years, we haven't yet found a better word. Hopefully, some inspired theologian one day will come up with a better, uh, a better noun for that. So we have to hold on to the unity of God and yet realize that we have the experience of God. Now, I'd like to say two things about this for us to take home with us. One is that God is not an isolated, lonely individual. God is a communion of persons. The Trinity, three persons living in wonderful unity and love, knowing each other fully, themselves given over each to the other fully, completely, totally non-competitive. And so in Paul's wonderful second chapter of the Philippians, it says that God raised Jesus up so that every knee would bow before him to the glory of the Father. And so the fact that Jesus is adored and loved and worshipped is pleasing to the Father. It doesn't take anything away from God. It only adds to their joy. And the same with the Holy Spirit. Now that's important for us, isn't it? Because the Trinity then becomes the model for our lives. That we are inescapably communal beings. We're not made to live by ourselves. We're made to live, most people, wife and husband. The two shall become one. But others of us are not married or the spouse has died, and so we live in a community of persons, and married people also in a community of persons. And so we we try to mirror the unity of God, the non-competitive love, the being given over one to the other, Now, we always fall short of that, true, but that's the goal. That's the model for us, the Trinity. Secondly, is something about prayer. We can experience each of the persons of the Trinity in prayer. You know, if you call up John, and you're kind of used to John, and you know that he's going to be maybe fairly curt, but always full of wisdom, uh, not many words. You call up Sally, and you know that Sally is going to talk endlessly, and lots and lots of information. Now, I I realize I've just used a stereotype here. I, I, I just spontaneously decided to say that, so I apologize for that. You call up Sally, and she's very taciturn and doesn't say much. You call up John, and he's bubbling over, talking all the time. Is that better? Okay. Okay. But each person is different. And so when we pray and we talk to the Father, 
we can experience God as the Father. When we talk to Jesus, we experience the person of Jesus Christ. When we talk to the Holy Spirit, we experience the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes most of our prayer is to God the Father or to Jesus. So we want to not neglect the Holy Spirit. That beautiful phrase in the second reading today, God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So this week, try to experience each of the persons in your prayer. And especially, try to experience God's love It's not just that it happened one time in baptism and renewed in confirmation. It happens all the time. God is pouring out the Holy Spirit into our hearts at every moment. So try to experience that, that that is the the wonderful gift of God for us. Let me leave you with a little bit of a different version of the three persons. We can think of the Father as the giver. We can think of the Son as the given. And we can think of the Holy Spirit as the gift, but also the one gifting, because the Holy Spirit comes with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, comes with many gifts for us. So the giver, the given, the gift. We celebrate and give praise and thanks for that immense generosity of God in revealing the divine nature to us because we believe that what was revealed to us is the very way that God is, that that's the inner life of the Trinity as best that we can comprehend it, that that there's no radical divergence from the way God is in heaven and the way God has been revealed to us in history and in our own lives. And so we celebrate tonight that wonderful gift. We enter, and I ask you tonight to be particularly alert to the Trinitarian shape of the prayers, the glory to God, which we've already prayed, the creed, which we will pray now, and then the Eucharistic prayer, Trinitarian shape. We're praying in Christ, in the power of the Spirit, to the Father, receiving back from the Father the gift of his Son poured out once more, the gift of the Holy Spirit once more given for our salvation. Amen.